Hallelujah, Father, we thank you today as we have sung. We await that moment when the invisible will become visible, when the veil will be taken away that separates us from heaven, and all eyes will see you, Jesus, risen from the dead, enthroned from evermore, carrying the name that is above every single name, by which all men will declare everywhere, Jesus, the name above every name, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We thank you that as every moment passes, we move towards it. Lord, we thank you that we not only are expectant with great hope for this moment, but even now in the moments in which we live, as Paul declared, we can look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And what a joy it's been this morning to just look again at you, Jesus, to look again and see that we are free because of what you've done on the cross. To look again and see and understand that we are forever forgiven and positioned in your grace and your favor and your love and your mercy and your goodness is upon our lives. To look again this morning at you, Jesus, and see that you're our healer. See that you're the one that removes all of our cares and our burdens and our worries and our fears. To look again at you, Jesus, this morning, in just the moments that we've had together, and to see you as our risen Savior, one who never leaves us, one who never forsakes us. And as the family of God, Lord, we truly do want to thank you for one another this morning because we look around this room and Lord, those who are joining us online, we look at our lives and we see all of the wonderful people that you brought together collectively to be your people in this city of Newport. And in the days to come, we pray that we would be that city positioned on a hill, shining bright in a dark world, an inviting light, an appealing light, a rescue in saving light. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Come on, let's thank our musicians. What a blessing they have been and are, I tell you now, every single week to bring us into God's presence. And just that, that music and that song that we sing. Oh, it's great, isn't it? How it lifts Sometimes a heavy heart that we can have. You can go through any one given week and it can be full of ups and downs. And there can be various things going on in our minds and in our hearts that nobody else knows about but Jesus knows about. But what a blessing it is to come into God's house and just to lift our voices together. It's wonderful. Many times, I'm sure, 
as I have had my needs met, as I've praised God, you've experienced that too. It's incredible, you know, when we just lift our voice in praise, when we give him thanks in all things, what he suddenly does in our lives. It is truly, truly a blessing. Well, this morning we're going to continue in our series of messages titled New Life in Christ. And last week, if you remember, we read from Titus chapter 2. And I want us again this morning as we begin to read from this chapter, Titus chapter 2, to remind ourselves of how Paul sees the power of God's grace practically working in our lives. Paul, like no other, had an incredible understanding about our position in Christ that grace brings us into. But this incredible apostle not only had a vast understanding and revelation about the position of that God's grace positions us in, in Christ Jesus, he also understood the practical power of God's grace in our everyday lives. Thank God for it. God doesn't leave us alone. Grace is at our side, ready to assist us, ready to support us, ready to help us in the nitty-gritty issues of life, to be with us, to enable us to come through, to be victorious, to be triumphant, and to reign in life. So let's look again, Titus chapter 2, verse, verses 11 through to verse 15, to see what Paul says about God's grace in his message to Titus. Verse 11 says this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. It's amazing when you look at these words, just these few verses, how Paul encapsulates brilliantly the wonderful news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to Titus. And from this passage over the last few weeks, we have lifted out four points about God's grace that directly relate to all of our lives. Firstly, we said that Paul, in his message to Titus, in these verses, shows us that God's grace rescues us, saving us from sin. Then secondly, from Paul's message here, in his words to Titus, he also shows us how God's grace reforms us in that it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And then thirdly, Paul turns his attention to the future, and he shows us how God's grace rewards us as it gives us eternal hope. And then Fourthly, the final point that we're going to look at, we'll finally get to in a few weeks' time, is where Paul assures us that God's grace redeems us, making us his very 
own. Grace, Paul says, rescues us. Grace reforms us. Grace rewards us. Grace redeems us. What amazing grace this is. In all of its wonder, in all of its brilliance, in all of its fullness. God's goodness, God's favor, the complete divine provision and answer for any life predicament is in God's grace over our lives and his favor towards us. Today we're going to continue in looking at this second point that we started to look at last week of how God's grace reforms us as it teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It's very simple. The instruction and the subject matter, the great subject matter that grace wants to teach us is encapsulated in one little word, no. No. It's going to teach you to say no with confidence, no with conviction, no with clarity. And that no is going to empower you to live a godly life, to live a self-controlled life, to be victorious, to reign in all circumstances of life. Grace. Paul gives us this incredible revelation of the power of God's grace in our everyday lives. He shows us this in verse 12, and this is what we're going to look at, concentrate on today and into next week and possibly the week after. Who knows? Verse 12, Paul is showing us that grace teaches us, helps us, and assists us in our everyday life. Verse 12, Paul highlights this by saying, verse 12, grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. What Paul is showing us here, and we looked at this a little last week, is the wonderful role that grace takes in our lives as teacher. Grace doesn't come out as an angry dictator, reeling out commands, reeling off orders, reeling off unrealistic expectations for your life. Paul reveals this wonderful grace of God as teacher and the picture and the image that he's giving us and outlining before us is of grace as a side-by-side companion in our lives that takes up an active role in order that we might live this high life, this new life, this abundant life that Jesus has provided for us. Paul talks about grace as working in the everyday present tense of life. Favor is with you. Favor is on you. Favor is going to get you through. No matter how difficult the future might be, no matter how complicated circumstances they can be, it's going to be grace and favor that's going to get you through the maze, that's going to get you through the valley season, that's going to get you through the wilderness sometimes that you go through. 
You're not just going to be left to your own devices. Why? Because God loves you. God's promised to bring you through and to provide for you. The teacher that you need, the side-by-side companion that will assist you. God's favor is going to help you. And your future is not going to be a rerun of your history. Why? Because God now is your Lord and your Savior and the one that cares for you. And all of His plans and purposes for your life are going to come to fruition because of the assistance and the provision of His grace. Paul is talking about and showing us a grace that is working in the everyday present tense of our lives. There's no uncertainty in his understanding about the role of God's grace in our lives. Grace teaches us, Paul assures. This is certain. Sorry for spitting This is certain. This is absolute. There's no doubt in his mind. Paul teaches us that grace is the teacher in our lives. That's the assurance. And beyond us saying no to ungodliness and worldly passions, our lives are going to grow and mature becoming self-controlled, upright, and godly in this present age. That's the outcome of coming under the instruction and the guidance and the correction of grace. It really is. Saying no to ungodliness for some of us has meant standing up to crippling fears and refusing to bow down to them anymore. Grace has taught you in the past to say no to the control of fear, no to its restrictions, no to its limitations, no to that sudden jack-in-the-box fear that would surprise you and cripple you and bind you. Grace has taught you to say no to it. And at the other side of that no is freedom. At the other side of that no that you answered fear with is the fruit of a life full of peace and joy. You know, very often we think when we go through circumstances and we feel all bound up, we think that it's the way to freedom is going to be so complicated. The way to freedom, the way to liberty, the way to a fruitful life means that we've got to do this and that and say this and think this way and formulate a new plan of action when our freedom can be encapsulated in one just in in the expression of one little word from our heart that grace has taught us to say confidently no no you come no further in my life Paul shows us, grace does not say no for you. It's not going to say no for you or for me. No, he says that grace teaches us to say no in the face of fear, in the face of any circumstance that wants to manipulate 
and manhandle your life. Grace isn't going to say no for you, but grace is going to teach you. Grace is going to empower you. Grace is going to strengthen you in that moment of need whereby you can come out with a clear no. For others of us, you be able to think back and look on times where grace has taught you to say no to decisions, life-altering moments that you needed guidance in. Grace came, assisted you, helped you, and enabled you to make the right decision, the right choice, and go on through that complex process of decision. Grace teaches us. Grace aids us with its wisdom. What a teacher. What a resource. God is the resource of all of the material and all of the wisdom that you and I need for life. And it's found in His Word. It's found in His promises. And grace comes to our aid and teaches us with this rich wealth, this rich resource. You know, sometimes all of us are well aware that the pressure to say yes to things that we should say no to can be great. But it's in these moments where the voice of God's favor, the voice of God's goodness comes and teaches us and helps us. There are times in all of our lives, times of need, where no is the only right answer to be spoken. But this little word very often is very difficult to say because it can impact our friendships. It can impact our relationships. It can impact our family life. It can have impact in our workplaces with our colleagues. Our children can go through difficulties in school. Students can face challenges in universities as they speak out this little word. No. It can bring all kinds of consequences and all kinds of changes in our lives. Because very often, no is not an answer that everybody else is expecting you to say. But grace teaches you to say it well, not aggressively, not in an erratic manner that's out of control. No, grace enables you to say no well, to say it gracefully, and to say it confidently. You know, I remember an occasion in my life where I was in charge of a, um, a project when I was working in engineering, and the boss would ring me every day. We were working in Swansea. The boss would ring me every day just to, you know, get a report on how the job was moving forward. And I was working with two other men. And on this one occasion, kind of coming towards the end of the contract that we were undertaking on behalf of the company that we were working for. At the end of the contract, one of the, one of the guys rung me up. He said, oh, listen, he said, I'm, I'm not coming into work today. I, had a, I, I, I was out last night with the boys I got a sore head this morning. I'm not coming into work today. Just book me in. Now, do you know what? I just couldn't do it. But right there, in that moment, 
a decision had to be made. If I said yes, I'd keep the peace. If I said yes, I'd be one of the boys. If I said yes, order would be retained. And nobody'd know. But God would know. So I just very calmly but confidently said, Hey, buddy, listen, you know I love Jesus. I can't do that. And then all of these things started to come out of him. I said, look, I said, I am not doing it. No is the answer. I'm not going to do it. Now, I didn't go run into the boss telling the boss what, you know, this guy wanted me to do. But the, 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 the company that I was working for and my employees, do you know what? They were, they were fantastic directors, trusting, really, really good guys. And I wanted to honor them, but even beyond honoring them and being honest, I wanted to honor God. No was the only answer. Even when a yes was expected, no was the only answer that I could give. Well, after that little word, no, everything changed. It really did. There was tension. As word was passed around about me to all the other men. And, you know, you'd walk into the canteen and everything would become quiet. And then before, you know, before long, the comments started to come out. And started to, you know, the jibes started to come in. Sometimes, no is the only right answer to say. Grace will teach you to say that. But there will be consequences sometimes for the choices that you make. Because others won't be expecting that answer. They will want a yes from you. They will want you to consent to things that you can't consent to because grace has taught you. To say no to ungodliness, to say no to worldly passions, to live a self-controlled, godly life in this present age. As we're going to see this morning, there are people in the Bible at all ages and stages of life where no was the only right answer that they could say when everybody else was expecting them to come out with a yes, when everybody else was expecting them to consent to the wrongdoing all around them, no was the only way through. God's Word gives us glimpses and snapshots into people's lives where the only answer that could be given was a no. And that one little word brought change. That one little word brought consequences upon their lives that they had no control over, but they retained the pleasure of God on their lives. They retained the goodness and the favor and the grace of God on their lives. And no matter what man tried to do, no matter what scheme was, was hatched, God's will and purpose for their lives always prospered. Think for a moment about Joseph. Joseph's answer of no. It brought him suffering and rejection. 
changed the course of his life, but God's great, great favor rested upon him, even when all around him was rejection. When everybody about him was trying to destroy him, he retained God's favor. And God took him through the minefield. God took him through all of the circumstances and the complexities of life that tried to oppose him. God was there behind the scenes in his sovereignty, guiding and leading and providing a way through. Joseph was a young man that God loved very much. And God had this huge dream over his life. You'll remember it. Jacob gave him that colored coat, the symbol of his favor on his life. But God's favor was also on Joseph's life as he opened his eyes and his mind one night as he lay on his bed and he showed him his future, his purpose, his plan. God gave him this. And he held it in his heart and he spoke it to his brothers who hated him for declaring God's word over his life. As a result of him being rejected, he was sold into Egypt. His brothers sold him to Midianite traders and he went on this strange journey. And it looked as if everything was going backwards in this young man's life. He was only 17 years of age. It looked as if everything was going in reverse in respect to what God had showed him, in respect to what God had placed in his heart. But we never hear a complaint from this young man. We never hear him accusing God of failing to perform his word. No, he just goes with it. He gets sold into Egypt and next we find, as we read in Genesis, he gets picked up by a man called Potiphar. And Joseph just faithfully serves this man as his slave, as his servant. And over time, what happens? The favor of God begins to reveal itself on this young man's life. The favor of God begins to spill out of this young man's life, and it spills out all over Potiphar's home. It, fill, it spills out over everything that Potiphar has, and great blessing comes on everything that Potiphar has, all because of this young man, Joseph. Let me read to you from Genesis 39, from verse 5 to 6. It records about how Joseph was blessed in Potiphar's house and everything that Potiphar had came under God's favor as a result of God's favor on Joseph's life. Verse 5 says this, So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. 
Everything's going great. You know, he had an awful start in life as his brothers rejected him, as his brothers sold him into Egypt. It seemed as if everything came crashing down. Maybe when he was standing in that slave market and his life was being bartered and passed from one trader to another trader. But now in Potiphar's house, he settled down a bit. The favor of God's on him. It's spilling out everywhere over Potiphar's household. The blessing of God is on Joseph. He's in a great season. He's in an awesome season. He's being promoted. Everything's going well until, and you know where I'm going, until Potiphar's wife set her eyes upon him. And she wanted to sleep with Joseph. And she appealed to him, the Bible says, day after day. She tried to lure him. And Joseph would respond, how can I do this great wickedness against God? I tell you, a young man in his, in his early, well, in his mid-teens, going into his early 20s, standing up to a woman that had a wicked intention. That's what the Bible says. I can't entertain that. I'm not going to do that with you. I can't sin against God. That is great wickedness. Imagine the principles and the character and the, the, just the moral goodness of self-control that's in this young man. Oh, may it return to our nation, church. May it return. May the, 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 the breath of God breathe in his church and raise up a standard in this dark world for young men and women to take a stand in our time, when our world is reeling from pillar to post, not knowing what to do, may this return in our hearts as grace teaches us. Joseph said no when a yes was expected. And consequences resulted, life-changing consequences resulted. As a result, Potiphar's wife one day took hold of his coat. And Joseph now thinking, man, this, this woman is crazy, runs for his life out of, out, of her, out of her presence. And he leaves his coat in her hand. Suddenly she cries rape, cries rape. And Joseph's no brought a very severe consequence on his life. Potiphar is enraged, takes hold of the young man. And Joseph doesn't appeal. He says nothing. He's silent as another chapter opens in his life. And he gets thrown in prison for two years. Who would have thought that one little word could bring such a radical change? Could, could cause such suffering, such pain? such complexity because now he's probably at the bottom of his life, at the bottom of his experience. But he had, he had no other way to go. The amazing thing is he retained, he retained God's favor on his life. 
two years in prison. And as an outsider looking in, we would think, man, it can't get any worse for this kid. It's over. There's nowhere else to go. There's no way out of this situation. But in hindsight, we can look at the Word of God and see that God was still with him, even in the lowest moments of his life, even when everything was locked up and shut down around him. God was still there with him. Genesis 39 verse 21 says this, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Even though Joseph had been wrongfully imprisoned, the Lord was with him. He retained the favor of God on his life. Nobody could take it off him. It couldn't be removed. God was with him. And that favor now that was once spilling over into Potiphar's house, blessing everything that Potiphar had, began to spill out and spill over in the prison. You know, very often, we go through situations and circumstances and we feel immense pressure, immense pressure, where people and the world around us are trying to squeeze us into its mold and coerce us into making decisions. But as we make a stand for God and graciously graciously decline in consenting to things that we know we cannot consent to. The favor of God is with us, enabling us and empowering us to move into everything beyond all of the changes and all of the circumstances that that little word no has brought down on us. Because what we see in Joseph's life is that in this very place, this very prison, the lowest moment of his life became the very moment and the very means and the platform into what God had purposed and positioned him for. Going into prison we can understand from hindsight, wasn't a backward move in the plan that God had for Joseph. It was actually a forward move, a final move to get him to the place that God had called him to be. And over it all, ultimately Joseph would see and understand what had been designed for evil, God had purposed for his good. In moments, he was taken from the prison. You know the story. He was taken from the prison and positioned before Pharaoh and became second in command as a statesman in that incredible nation and became a means and a resource of wisdom to the world, to the world whereby supply and provision could be made and managed well. And on beyond there, Joseph coming into Egypt, 
became a great blessing and means of blessing to his family and to his nation. But no, the no that grace had taught him to say, the no that grace had taught him to speak, the no that lived in his heart, that enabled him to negotiate all of the pressures of life was a means, one of the means of getting him to fulfill everything that God had called him to do. Just as we close today, think for a moment about Moses. Acts chapter 7 verse 22 says that Moses was learned in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in word and deed. Egypt put everything into Moses. He grew up under its influence for 40 years. Every form of investment was placed into his life to sharpen his intelligence. Moses had been educated in all forms of history and literature, economics and politics. Moses was at the helm of the greatest power in the world. He was positioned for greatness, trained to retain all of Egypt's wisdom, a mighty communicator. Everything he did stood out. Position and power and riches and every type of pleasure was at Moses' disposal. But Moses said no to Egypt's ways. Hebrews 11, 24 to 25 tells us this, that Moses refused to carry the name of the most powerful family on earth. Verse 24, it says, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh, choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. I mean, you know, if you really think about this, you talk about pressure to conform, to fit in, to just say yes and be a good boy and just accept what's happening around you, to retain your privilege, to, to retain your position. But Moses, when he came of age, this is what the Word of God says, even though he had great position, great authority, he refused to associate with this family, Pharaoh's family, Pharaoh's household in Egypt, rather choosing to suffer affliction with God's people. He was turning back, he was turning his back on the world that he'd grown up in. He was turning his back on all of the investments and all of the privileges and all of the prosperity that Egypt had laid at his disposal. And he was refusing to accept all of those privileges, rather to embrace the sufferings that God's people were undergoing. 
Moses refused to compromise. He refused to be assimilated into the world that was pressurizing him and trying to conform and mold him. The Bible tells us that he had radical faith. faith. Verse 26 of Hebrews 11 says this, that he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. And all of us in various ways have made that decision. Grace has taught us we could go around this room this morning, I know. And each of us could remember and recite times and moments where grace has come, taught you to say no to ungodliness, no to worldly passions, no to the squeeze and the mold of this world. And it may have brought challenge. It may have brought consequences on your life that you did not expect. But you know, no was the only right answer when everybody was expecting a yes from you because of your love for Christ and what he's done in your heart. Beyond Moses' no came deliverance for two million people that had been enslaved for 400 years. God used him, raised him up. And he became that great deliverer, led them through a sea, over to the other side, toward a promised land. Everything depended on the moment and on the moments of him making that clear-cut decision where he was standing for God and not being assimilated or controlled by the world around him. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. We're going to close in a moment. But today, let's remember, let's remember that grace is not a harsh dictator reeling out commands and expectations for your life. Now, grace is a teacher, Paul says. Grace is a teacher. And the picture that he builds and the image that he gives is of a loving companion. Favors on your life. And of course, we've all said yes to things that we should have said no to. But the wonderful thing is, is that grace has never given up on us. It picks us up, dusts off the dirt. We come to God ask him to forgive us he cleanses us with his blood from all unrighteousness and grace teaches us guides us corrects us and we go on our way with this lifelong companion of God's favor on our life to get us through every circumstance and every situation that we might face maybe today you're feeling pressured to say yes to things that you should say no to. You could be afraid. And you, you, you could be avoiding this one little word. But you know it's got to be said. 
you've got to go ahead and say it. You're being pressured by circumstances in the world around you. And you know if you release this little word and you say this little word, things are going to change. Listen, grace is with you. God's favor is with you. And he'll work it out. And he'll work it through. And you will retain his favor, his blessing on your life. Or some of us today could be here. And we're at the other side of that little word, no. And you spoke it clearly, compassionately, confidently, with assurance that it was right to do. But as a result of it, now, friendships have changed, relationships have gone. Situations in work or in your world won't be the same again. But it was a no that was needed. It was a no that was needed, and it was a no that you spoke. An important moment in your life. In all of these situations, whether you're at the point of feeling pressured and afraid because you know you need to say no to given situations in your life, or where you're at the other side and you're thinking, man, it would, have easy, it would have been easier just to have said yes. It would have been easier just to fit in. That one little word, no, standing for God and standing for his word has brought difficulty and hardship and everything's got so complicated. Listen, whatever situation we're in today, whatever it is, Let's take strength and comfort and assurance from Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 to verse 10. Because Paul here not only shows us that grace is our teacher to say no, he also shows us that grace is all-sufficient, perfecting God's strength in our weakness. Verse 8 through to verse 10, says this, Concerning this thing I pleaded with the Lord three times, that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Grace teaches us to say no, but grace is all sufficient. And in our weakest moments, they're the moments where Christ's strength, God's strength, is perfected in us. Amen? When you're weak, that's when you're strong and you're going to find him assisting you. And for some of us, do you know what? Those relationships that seem so much under tension at the moment, that seem under strife and difficult, it's going to turn around. Grace is going to turn it around. You're not going to. You're not going to turn it around. 
grace, the grace of God, the sufficiency of God's goodness and favor in our lives is going to turn it around. Amen. I'm going to pray for you. Then we're going to pray for those maybe today who've never asked Jesus into their hearts. But we're in the closing moments right now. Father, I thank you for your people today. Oh, thank you for the rich provision of grace. A grace that rescues us. A grace that reforms us and reshapes our lives. A grace that rewards us. And a grace that redeems us. Everything's provided for. We thank you that this grace teaches us. We're not left to our own devices. We're not left just to work it out after salvation. No, grace saved us. And then grace comes on side by side with us, moment by moment through every day to teach us, to guide us, help us, correct us. We thank you for its all-sufficient nature. We thank you that when we're weak, it perfects your strength in us. Lord, you know, you know each of our circumstances and the predicaments that we are in. You know the pressures and the hurts that we hold in our hearts. Lord, we come to you, the God of all grace, that you would give us peace and comfort and strength right now. Right now. Thank you, Jesus. Right now, Holy Spirit, just, just wait quietly here now. Because right now, the Holy Spirit is going to do in a moment what you've been trying to do for months. That's what he's going to do. He's going to do in a moment what you've been trying to do for months, even years. Holy Spirit, just pray now. Go to work. Go to work, Holy Ghost. Bring light where there is darkness. Bring life where there is erosion in our emotions right now. Holy Ghost, you're so good. Comfort where there's pain. Help where we feel abandoned. Peace where we feel lonely. Holy Spirit, we don't look to man. We don't look to anything else beyond you. You're the helper. You're the teacher. You're the comforter. You're the one that stands by our side. You're the leader. We all come to you because you love every single one of us. We come to you. We open ourselves to you. Right now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be here today and, you know, may have come a few times. You've never asked Jesus into your heart. It'd be a joy for me right now to pray with you, to ask Jesus into your heart. Do you know on Monday night, me and Dale, we were with the outreach team. We had, a, we had the joy, the joy of being in the middle of Pontypool town with all of the other guys in the outreach team and praying with must have been 30 people Dale 30 young people 
out loud. Just a prayer of trust and salvation. God's doing things. God's doing things. People may not be coming into our building just yet. But I tell you something now. It doesn't stop us going out to see them and tell them about the good news. Every week we're seeing people make decisions for Jesus, come into a new life relationship, receive the Word of God. It's wonderful. Jesus is doing wonderful things. He never stops. He never stops expanding His work, expanding His kingdom in people's lives. Right now I'm going to give you an opportunity to ask Jesus, your Savior, into your heart. Your life's going to change. Peace is going to come. You're going to sense a, a new life because you're going to have a relationship with God. You're going to ask, and he's going to give it. Why don't you pray this prayer with me? Very simple words. There's nothing magical about the prayer. But what's wonderful is that you place your faith in Jesus, and he comes into your heart as Savior and Lord of your life. Pray this. If you're watching online, you can pray this too. Just say these words. Jesus, I ask you, to be my Savior, to forgive me of my sin. I want to know you as my Lord. Please, I want to open my heart, my life, and I want to ask you to come into my life and change it. Amen. From that simple prayer, honestly. You'll see amazing change in your life. Jesus, Jesus is your Savior. He's your Lord. And we would love this morning to be able to give you on your way out. If, you pray, if there's somebody here this morning, you prayed that prayer. We would love to give you maybe your first Bible. We've got a little magazine as well that our church has produced from members, stories, members of our congregation that they've given and seen God's amazing work in their lives. We can give you that on the way out. Just let one of our stewards know on the way out by the door. We would love to put that in your hand. If you're watching online, you prayed that prayer asking Jesus into your heart. We'd love to send you a Bible or a magazine, gift it to you, and, you know, just bless you with that so you can go on into this wonderful walk now, this wonderful new life that you have in Christ. And listen, just keep coming back. This is what we say. Keep coming. I know it's not easy with the restrictions, but they seem to be lifting, which is great news, you know, little by little. Keep coming back to the house of God to enrich yourself in this life that he's given us. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Why don't we stand to our feet? We're going to close. Noel's going to bless us and sing. Come on, let's give Jesus praise this morning for his word.